To Glory to Glory, the radio teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Join us now as Pastor Joe teaches from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. I remember Paul the Apostle wrote 1 Timothy. Obviously, he wrote 2 Timothy to the young pastor called Timothy. As we've been looking at, he's uh, serving as a pastor, Timothy that is, he's serving as a pastor there in Ephesus. Uh, 1 Timothy was uh, believed to be written around AD 63 or 64, while Paul the Apostle was in Macedonia. Paul, if you recall, was under house arrest in Rome, and he spent about two years uh, out of house arrest. They let him go. He was acquitted. They, they didn't have enough evidence to keep him in prison, so they released him. Um, and while he was in Macedonia during that release of his house arrest, he wrote 1 Timothy but when he went back to, he was brought back to Rome. Now, don't, don't lose this. This is very important. So the first time he was in Rome, it was house arrest. But the second time he was in Rome and he was under arrest, he was in a dungeon. He was in a real prison. And it was not a fun place for him to be. And he was awaiting his death. He was awaiting his execution. And that's the time when it's believed that he wrote this letter. So here he is, you know, get the picture. Paul's in prison. He's in a dungeon. He's facing execution. He knows he's going to die. So what I like about this is, and if you take note, this is a good note to take. This is Paul's last letter before he dies. And think about that. You know, think if you were writing a letter before you're going to die, you know, what, you know, what kind of things would you write to encourage someone? So, you know, when we read this letter, because it's his last letter, uh, I believe we, we find a lot of passion in this because he knows he doesn't have long to live. So we find a lot of passion in this letter. We find a lot of uh, you know, personal things in this letter, very personal as he talks to Timothy. I believe far more personal than we saw in 1 Timothy. And also there's a lot of power in this letter because again, Paul is facing execution and he is just filled with God's spirit and there's a lot of power. So the three Ps, it's personal, He's passionate and there's power. It's a very fiery letter. So keep that in mind as we read that it's uh, his last letter. And I think as we read it, you're going to see the, the passion. You're going to see the power. You're going to see how personal it is. And my wife uh, just told me the other, actually it was today, that uh, her dad wrote her a letter. and She has the last letter her dad wrote her before her dad went to be with the Lord. And she, she has it under lock and key and she pulls it out every once in a while and she reads it and it's dear to her. You know, it means a lot to her. So she pulls it out. And I, you know, I didn't know that she, she told me that today when I was talking about this, about Paul's last letter. 
And as she reads it, you know, she, she cherishes that letter. It means a lot to her. She doesn't just throw it somewhere and, you know, she, she hides it away and she cherishes it. And I, I just want to say before we get into the text, you know, this is, again, Paul the Apostle's last letter. And we should cherish this letter. This should be something that we, you know, we look at and think, wow, this is something great. You know, this is his last words. And now, before we get into the study, I just want to point out, uh, there's two verses, I think, that state the theme of this letter. And I want, to, want you to turn there with me, if we can, before we start into our text here. Two verses, I believe, that state the theme of this letter. 2 Timothy 2.15, if you can turn there with me, please. 2 Timothy 2.15. I love this verse. It says, be diligent or study to show yourself approved to God, a workman or a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the, the theme, you know, part of the theme is to study the word, be diligent to, to not to be ashamed of the word, to, to rightly divide it. To another, in other words, know what the word has to say, the word of God. So that's part of it right there. And then the other part, if you can turn to 2 Timothy 4.2. And these two verses, I believe, are the, they state the theme of this wonderful letter. 2 Timothy 4.2. And another wonderful verse. This whole letter is packed with, with wonderful verses like this. And Paul writes to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So study the word, preach the word. Be ready to answer those that, that you know, have questions and exhort and be long suffering. And again, teach. So, so the theme of, you know, it's the word of God, studying the word, preaching the word, teaching the word, knowing the word, using the word. And what a great exhortation as we open up this wonderful book. So with that as way of a introduction, let's dig into this wonderful letter. And Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just a wonderful greeting, a wonderful way, you know, for Paul as he opens up his letters, you know, uh, asking for God's grace and mercy and peace. I've pointed this out before, and I'd like to point it out again. In, in, in the other letters that Paul writes to, he just basically says, you know, grace and peace from God, but in the epistle, or excuse me, in the pastoral letters, the pastoral epistles, he puts that wonderful word mercy in there. And I love that, you know, because, you know, to the pastors, I think the pastors need extra mercy. We need extra of that. You know, those you're teaching the word and you need you need mercy. You need more of God's mercy. So I love pointing that out. So he adds mercy, you know, God's mercy added in there with his wonderful greeting. But again, Paul, the apostle, verse one, by the will of God, apostle is one that's sent out. Uh, also, uh, an apostle is a unique ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I wonder for each one of us, if we were able to fill in the blanks and write down, you know, uh, so-and-so, your name by the will of God, you know, what, what would that be? Do you know what God has called you to do? Do you know what, what, you know, you're called by the Lord to do? And my other question is, are you doing it? Are you a part of what God has called you to do? And can you fill this out? Can you, can you say, you know, Jim, by the will of God, you know, excuse me, Jim, and an encourager 
of Jesus Christ by the will of God, or Pete, or George, or Mary, or you know, whatever your name is. Fill that in. Do you know what, what it is? What is the will of God for your life? What has God called you to do? And are you, are you doing that? Are you, are you applying yourself by the will of God? Kathleen, I could fill in a few blanks there, an encourager by the word of God. She has probably one of the most powerful gifts of encouragement that I know, that I know of, of anybody. I'm serious. I, I'm with her all the time. I, I mean, she's constantly, I mean, she's like, boom, boom. That gift's so natural for her. She just doesn't even, she just lights up around people. She's like, do, do, do. She, she finds out what, you know, what, you know, what God sees in that person. She just, boom, she just nails it and tells them, oh, you're so this and that, that. And I'm like, Wow. And I lend her out, but she's mine. She's my wife. I mean, (laughs) gifted teacher for the ladies by the will of God. Gift of evangelism by the word of God, by the will of God, teaching the word, admonishing the gift of exhortation, exhorting by the will of God. And sometimes it's easier for us to see the gifts in other people, I think. We can, we can see that. We can watch them and, and we can see them, you know, at work. And we can see the giftings, you know, working in their lives. But sometimes it's not so easy to see those gifts in ourselves. But it's good to know. You might want, if you're married, ask your spouse, well, what do you think my gifts are? Spouse, I hope you're, you're in tune and you can tell your, your, your friends, your close friends. I've shared this before, but before I became a pastor, I had people come up to me out of the blue and say, oh, do you know you have a calling on your life to be a pastor? And I'm like, really? Before I knew it. But then the Lord started revealing that to me. I think I shared this before. It was in Michigan. I lived on the east side of Michigan. I was visiting a church on the west side of Michigan. First time, walked in the doors. I'm there with my friend that, that lives on the west side, and we're hanging out, and someone just out of the blue walks up to me and says, hi. And they shook my hand. They says, you're a pastor. And I says, well, no. And they says, no, you're called to be a pastor. I said, really? He says, yeah, you've got the gifting of, you know, you're a pastor teacher. And it was before the Lord was even revealing it to me. And then he started revealing it to the people around me. And they said, wow, you're called to be a pastor. And it's so wonderful to know what the will of God is. Pastor teacher by the will of God. Evangelist by the will of God. What, you know, what is your gifting and, and to, to walk in it, but to know it. Paul the Apostle could write this down to, to Timothy and say, I am called by the will of God to do this. According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. I, I believe it's speaking of eternal life, which is promised to us as believers in Christ Jesus. First John 5, 11, it says, and this is the testimony that God has given to us, eternal life. And the life is in his And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. Talking about eternal life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Speaking of eternal life. So right here, Paul the Apostle says, according to the promise of life, eternal life is promised to us in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. If we have Christ, if Christ is in us, we have eternal life. We know where we're going. We know that we're going to heaven. It's been promised to you. That alone brings such peace to me to know. I mean, what if we didn't know? He's like, I don't know. Today I I had a bad thought. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I mean, what if if we had that plague on our mind? 
You get in a car accident. You, you start yelling and screaming or you get upset and then you die. Right? It's like, you know, what you, oh, I lost my eternal life. I you know, was in the flesh. You know? No, we have a promise of eternal life. The, the, the promise of eternal life is in Jesus Christ. He who has the Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has eternal life abiding in him. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. So just matching up with what Paul is saying here. And he goes on, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers. Talking to Timothy, check this out, night and day. Go back to, it says, whom I serve with a pure, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. It's so wonderful when we can serve the Lord with a pure conscience, isn't it? I had someone, you know, years ago when we were in ministry in, at the women's club, he, he asked me, he says, well, how can you get up there every Sunday and on and midweek studies? And, you know, without, you know, he says, you, you're human and you're, you mess up. And, you know, doesn't that plague you, you know, that you're a sinner and you get up there and you're, you're telling people, you know, what they should do and, and all this. And I says, well, no, I'm, I'm called to be a pastor teacher. And, you know, I, I can go up there with a pure conscience because of what Jesus Christ did for me at the cross. The Lord Jesus, he purifies our conscience. It's not only that he cleanses us of our sin, he forgives us of our sin and cleanses us of all unrighteousness, but even deep into our conscience, he's able to purify that. I mean, think about Paul the Apostle that's writing this. He killed Christians. He had Christians, you know, blaspheme the name of the Lord, you know, thinking he was doing God a service. Well, think of that, you know, would stay in his mind, the plague that that would cause him, you know, in his ministry. But he realized, no, I have a pure conscience. I'm able to walk in, in the spirit and I'm able to have, a pure conscience because Christ cleansed my conscience. And I want to encourage every one of you to serve the Lord with a pure conscience. If you're going to the cross, if you're repenting, if you're turning from your sin and you're, you're confessing it to him, walk in that conscience, that pure conscience that God wants you to have. Because what a plague that would be if you're always thinking about, oh man, you know, I can't believe, you know, 20 years ago I did that. And trust me, there's people that do that. I had a lady many years ago when I was, you know, serving at Big Calvary over there. She every, almost every week, maybe twice a week, she'd come up for prayer and says, oh, no, I don't know if I'm saved. And we would pray and she'd go, I don't know if I, I don't know. And, you know, and she's just constantly plagued with that. Oh, I don't know if I am really forgiven what I did 10 years ago or and she just kept going back to what she did 10 years ago. And she said, you know, it was frustrating. It was getting frustrating for me even. It's like, we've talked about this before. And she'll walk, you know, we'd pray and she'll walk with, oh, I'm so much better. And she just, you know, walking on air. She's like, oh, I'm forgiven. And she'd start walking away. And then, you know, a few days later, she'd come back up. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I'm like, don't know what? Well, remember 10 years ago? And I was like, didn't we talk about this? It is so wonderful to have the pure conscience. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What a great God we have. I want to look at this part here where it says, it says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. Looking at that at first, you're thinking, well, wait a second. His forefathers, you know, they were Jewish. They were, you know, Hebrew. Let me read it from the King James Version. I like how it reads a little bit better. This is a new King James. I want to read it. It says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers. 
with a pure conscience. I, I believe what he's saying is, you know, I thank God whom I'm served from my forefathers. Just simply meaning Paul is talking about, you know, the God he serves from his, his forefathers, the same God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You know, he, he's thankful that he, he, you know, he had that upbringing in that way. But I don't think he's saying that, you know, his forefathers were saved in the way that he's saved. So don't misunderstand that. As without ceasing, I pray. I remember you, excuse me, in my prayers night and day. How would you like Paul the Apostle praying for you night and day? He's in a dungeon. He's got nothing better to do. I mean, he's, he's stuck there, you know. And he has a prayer list, and Timothy was on his prayer list. I think that alone, reading with, with Timothy, get the picture. He's reading this. He's saying, wow, Paul's praying for me night and day. And I think that the encouragement of knowing, wow, the apostle's praying for me. I know he's a man of God, and he's, he has me on his prayer list. And I think it's a wonderful thing when we have those that, that we, we love and respect are, are praying for us. Doesn't it do something to you, for you? You're like, oh, thank you. And we need each other's prayers. And I think it's a humbling thing. There's a couple here about a week ago, and they were just going through some stuff, and they, they, they spent a little time with Kathleen and I, and they're like, we're really going through it, and this and that, and this and that. And so we just started praying. Next morning, we saw them. Next, you know, they, we... we, we, we Talk to them. They says, man, you won't believe God opened the floodgates. God did this. God did that. And they're like, you're like, really? Wow. And my wife even made that comment. She says, I wish God would answer our prayers so quick. <laughs> and we thought through this. We're like, yeah, we pray for them and boom, it's answered immediately. But, it, but I think it's a humbling thing for us to be able to go to others and say, I need prayer. And God likes that, that we're praying for one another. We're called to pray one for another. And it's a humbling thing to admit, yeah, I really need prayer for this. And can you, do you mind praying for this? And it's like, you know, we, we need to pray for each other. But again, Paul the Apostle had Timothy on his prayer list. And I, I think through that, I think, wow, what an awesome thing to have the Apostle Paul praying for you. But then I start thinking through it. I'm like, guess who prays for each one of us? Jesus Christ. We're told that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, through Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for us, for them. Speaking of his disciples, speaking of us. We're also told in Romans 8.24 that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding. For who? For us. So not only, you know, we, it's one better than even having the apostle on the prayer list. Jesus has us on his prayer list. He's, he's interceding for us. Going on, as Paul says, so I'm, I'm praying night and day for you, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded, is in you also. Paul's excited. He says, I, I greatly desire to see you, and I'm mindful of your tears, and it, it brings joy knowing this faith that you have that started you know, with your mother, then your grandmother, excuse me, your grandmother, then your mother. 
but he's mindful of his tears. I, I think it's possible the tears he's talking about is when the two departed in Ephesus, you know, that possibly, you know, Timothy was probably you know, crying for a couple of reasons, crying because, you know, the apostles leaving him, probably also crying like, I'm supposed to do this without you, you know? And Paul's saying, I'm mindful, probably, you know, thinking, you know, those tears. I, I, I know that it's tough that we, you know, we had to split up for a time. But he says, I, I, I desire to see you. Hopefully you can come and visit me. That I may be filled with joy. And that wonderful relationship these two guys had. Again, his genuine faith. He, he knows that uh, his faith is real. Timothy had a godly upbringing. Which is so wonderful. Genuine, it literally is translated unhypocritical, unhypocritical. He has an unhypocritical faith, a faith that's not an act. He's, he's not just, you know, acting like he's, he's something. It, Paul says it's genuine. You're not a hypocrite. It's, I see it's genuine, and it came from your mother and, and from your grandmother. And, and I wonder, you know, sometimes we'll get those, we'll get those that are in the church that are, just acting, that it's not a real thing. And hopefully that's nobody here. You know, it's not just something that we're acting out. Sometimes when your parents are, are Christians, you know, you come to church just because, you know, they tell you you have to, or, you know, and, it's, and you can, you know, sometimes you can spot them. They're like here, you know, they're like, yeah, I got to come to church. You know, they're like, okay, you know, here I am. And they don't want to be here. And it's almost like, you know, they're just like, I'm just here. Minister to me, come on. I was like... <laughs> And it's just, uh, you know, they're just acting. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian and all that. But not for Timothy. Timothy, it was genuine. It was real. It was a real thing. So Paul was persuaded it was real. Therefore, I remember you. Excuse me. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of the hands. I love this verse. I, these verses are so wonderful. <laughs> Stir up the gift. Paul's saying, I, I know you have genuine faith, and I want to remind you. I know the, the faith is genuine, but the gift that you have, stir it up. Use that gift. I believe there can be a problem with those that have, you know, they've been in the church for a long time, or they, their parents are, are Christians, and their grandparents are Christians. They just kind of, they go, okay, yeah, I raised my hand when I was three years old, and, you know, I gave my life to Christ, and, you know, and there could be a dullness where they're not stirred up, you know, they're just, and, and you can you see that, and sometimes people that walk with the Lord for a long period of time, it's just like, da 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 yeah, yeah, Christian, yeah, God, yeah, I'm here, Bible study, well, you're supposed to be here, you know, so here we are. Let's read the Bible. And it's like, stir it up. Stir, Paul's like, stir it up. You know? Bring to flame that, that passion that you should have for the Lord. I, I know the faith is genuine. I know that it's, this is a genuine thing. It's, you're not a hypocrite, but just maybe reminding him to, to make it, you know, something that's exciting, that it's stirred up. The word stirred up has the idea of, you know, Stirring up a fire to keep it burning bright or to keep it strong. You know, a fire left by itself is going to go out. The stirring up, the word itself means to kindle afresh or to keep in full flame. To, so, you know, the gift that you have, keep it a, in a full flame. And, and the gift uh, he has, the gift of, you know, for, for Timothy as a pastor, teacher, evangelist, sharing the gospel, he says, you know, 
Make sure that it's full flame, that you're not just, you know, just going through the motions. And that's a good exhortation for every one of us to you hear people say, you know, wow, that that guy's really on fire. Or that man, you know, that lady is, you know, she's so on fire and that person's so on fire. And I think we need to encourage each other to be on fire for the Lord. To, you know, be stirred up and not just be, you know, just, okay, you know, it's, it's time, you know, for, to use my gift. There's so much power in using, just the, the power of God's Holy Spirit when you use the gifts, it's just unbelievable. And it's almost like an addicting thing as a Christian. If you, if you are being used by God, it's like, it's almost like you want to do it again. Become the throne of mercy. It's the sound of our singing praise. It's the sound of our singing praise. You have been listening to Glory to Glory with Pastor Joe Pettit and Outreach of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. If you would like to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, call now at 714-788-8221. That's 714-788-8221. We'd like to extend an invitation to visit us here at Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Our address is 16450 Pacific Coast Highway in Huntington Beach, California, 92649. We're located in Peter's Landing Marina in Huntington Harbor. Our service times are Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Now, may we continue to go to His throne of mercy as He changes us from glory to glory. It's become the throne of mercy. It's the sound of our singing praise. It's the sound of our